Next month, I'll be officiating my youngest sister's wedding. Um, I've done my other sister's marriages, too, and each one of them has their own kind of special, unique tenderness for me. Um, for Sarah, it's that she was born when I was 13 years old, so I was immediately the built-in babysitter and heiress parent for the first few years of her life. I'm really excited. But the rest of my family is more nervous. Apparently, most of the planning hasn't really been done yet. Um, Sarah has that stereotypical youngest child thing going on, like free-spirited and free-ranging. Apparently, she and her fiancé haven't worried too much about details like venue and cake and food and service and RSVPs um, and those kind of things. Um, but they have bought two beer donkeys, um, which are two donkeys that they are training uh, that will be saddled with ice bags holding beer, which will walk around the reception um, and you can pull a beer out of the beer donkey. <laughs> so we know that's covered. <laughs> My part of this whole thing is set, and there's no stress at all for me. I've got a prayer book. If they get a license, I can marry them. Um, but the surrounding festivities will be far from orthodox, I am sure, and I am just bracing for more than a few fireworks uh, from the family, uh, not the celebratory kind. I think that's just weddings, too, in general, right? It's just so much stress and performance all over the place. Um, and we've got lots of fireworks in today's parable about a wedding. There was a king preparing a wedding banquet for his son, and the invited guests were too busy to attend. Honestly, to me, it seems like the king has invited a bunch of people who really don't like him. A strange thing to do when throwing a party. When everyone makes their polite excuses about why they don't want to show, he presses them on it, and then violence erupts. The king retaliates in full force and kills them all, burning their city to the ground. The smoke is still in the slaves' nostrils as the king tells them to go out to the main street and invite everyone to the party, and in they come, the good, the bad, the mediocre, and they take part in the wedding feast. But in comes the king again, and by now, dread ought to have fully gripped you. He looks around at the good and the bad and the mediocre crowd that now that the initial guests were all slaughtered and spies one who is not wearing a proper wedding garment. We don't know why. And the man himself is speechless when confronted, struck dumb until the king has him bound hand and foot and thrown out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we'll stop right there. Because we have heard this parable before, and it's told by Luke rather than Matthew. Luke's version is different. It has no king. It's just a man giving a great feast. One invited guest after another refuses the invitation, 
I can't. I've got to go shopping. Uh, my oxen is sick. It's a three-day weekend, whatever. It's very clear that this parable for Luke is about being too busy to say yes to God. Once all of the no's come in uh, for the RSVPs, the man sends his slaves out to invite everyone, so the same. He says specifically to bring in the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. And when they're all brought in, the man says, more. There's more room. Bring in more. The end. No burning no murdering, no gnashing of teeth, no dress code. Both Matthew and Luke received this story as a part of the tradition of Jesus' teachings. It's the same story told two very different ways, trying to communicate two very different ideas. Luke emphasizes the free invitation to all. Matthew is playing a bit with history here. He emphasizes the judgment for those who respond to the invitation incorrectly. Now, sometimes when I talk to you about the way that the Bible argues or contradicts itself, I tell you that you get to choose and that that is your imperative. I have never been shy about being Team Luke, 100%. And when Year A started up a while back, which is our year in Matthew, I preached an entire sermon about reasons to dislike Matthew. Though we always get to the redeeming parts, you know, my straw men are just rhetorical devices. However, you know that. And today... I want to propose to you another way of handling this. The biblical way doesn't actually make you choose. When these texts were compiled and put into one big book eventually instead of a series of scrolls, they had been passed on with the full knowledge that these different writers were arguing with each other and that that wasn't a bad thing. In fact, it was a good thing to preserve. We did not end up with one monolithic branded message and mission statement, which is what our world craves. We want a side to pick. We are not given one in the Bible. But I want to tell you today that it is actually more important to learn to hold both. As I follow the news, it seems like holding tension, rather than dividing good from evil and, of course, assuming you're in the good camp, that tension holding just does not seem to be happening. Today, We have a parable where one person tells it and says, all are welcome and invited to the feast of God's kingdom. And we have one person's version who asks, is your response to the invitation fitting? He says, you will be held accountable for what you do on this earth if you spread this gift or squander it. Don't get me wrong, 
Matthew's story is wild and over the top with violence. But our world kind of is that way, isn't it? And it's a wedding, which apparently have been nothing but chaotic at any point in history. There is tension here between these two stories. You've been given both. Can you hold both? Can you accept the free invitation and have the strength to ask, what of my life needs to change?